Hello, podcast land. Greetings from the great state of Oklahoma. Welcome to episode number six of Trip Talks. What is Trip Talks? Well, it's general talk from the heartland and beyond. We sure hope you enjoyed episode number five, the 80s, my favorite subject. It was hard to put a whole decade in one podcast, so we may have to revisit that one a little bit later. Episode number six is about food service. Now, before you switch your dials, <laughs> dials, before you push Q or next or whatever device you're listening on over to another podcast or another station, just because you have no interest in food service, think twice. You eat out at restaurants often, and this podcast may shed some light on what all goes on into that chicken fried steak meal you had last week. Let's cover some, before we dive into something, let's do a little fun here. Let's dive into some food service myths before I get into the whole story. Let's go with myth number one. Waiting tables is only for teens and college students. Once again, myth number one. Waiting tables is only for teens and college students. Actually, that one is false. Did you know more than a quarter of adults started off working at a restaurant? I mean, you think of, I'm a Gen Xer, and a lot of people started working in restaurants, and that still continues today. More than 58% of the food service employees are over 25. So, no, waiting tables is not only for teens and college students. Myth number two is food service jobs aren't for real or career jobs. Once again, myth number two, food service jobs aren't real, in air quotes, or career, in air quotes, jobs. That one is false. One in 12 U.S. private sector jobs work in restaurant industry, and that number is only growing. And most restaurant workers don't work one full-time job. And part of the reason is, is because operators don't want to hire them full-time because they don't want to deal with issuing benefits. Also, disregarding these jobs as not real or not career jobs only serves to invalidate the millions of Americans working in one of our largest sectors. So that's very interesting. Let's go uh, myth number three. Myth number three, all servers, all restaurant servers, make a livable wage before tips. That one is a big false. Sadly, only seven states, we, let me start that one over again. Sadly, only seven states require tipped employees to be paid the federal minimum wage. Technically, I'm saying technically, again, in air quotes, all employers are legally required to ensure workers receive the equivalent to minimum wage after tips. But uh, that's not always the case. So myth number three is definitely false. Myth number four. This is one my parents should really love. 
tipping servers 15% is the industry standard. Big false. First of all, there is no industry standard. You know, you may have like a little pocketbook or whatever, a little tip sheet of, you know, you should tip bellboys this or luggage handlers this, or you should t- uh, tip cab drivers this or Uber drivers that. Um, tipping servers 15% is the industry standard could be further from the truth. The true percentage is more like 20%. And while tipping is technically optional, it's not morally or socially optional. And we'll get into more about tipping later in the broadcast, but you want to talk about a huge slam in the face. If we are blessed enough in America or wherever you're listening to, to go out for a meal and have a meal, please tip your servers well. Guys, you will not believe how much work they go through. You want to budget your meal. You want to budget your choice of meal, your choice of restaurant, your choice of what you order to include a good tip. And also, in many places, servers are required to give a portion of their tips to other staff. And that's otherwise known as tip sharing. And tip sharing goes into a collective pool. And the servers, the hosts, the bartenders, the food runners, the dishwashers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all get a portion of the tips. And that can be good or bad. Um, You know, it's a practice that is used quite a bit. And I'm not really here to say if if tip sharing is good or bad, because I'm sure it has its uh, pros and cons. Um, Myth number five, plastic straws are one of the most common items found on the beach. And that's been really a hot topic lately with the uh, turtle with the straw on its nose. Sadly, myth number five is true. Plastic straws are one of the most common items found on the beach. Straws are number seven in the top ten list of items found on beaches. Here's a big number for you. 250 million straws are used each day. And they're all thrown away and they take forever to decompose, if at all, but they are also recyclable. So you will see a lot of operators going to paper straws or you'll see a lot of uh, diners uh, not having a straw. And um, that is a growing, growing uh, trend. Let's go to um, myth number six. Chocolate causes acne. Now, I remember back in the day, I used to walk seven. No, I'm just kidding. Back in the day, that was all the thing. You can't eat chocolate or your face will break out. You can't eat chocolate or you're going to get acne. And the only thing chocolate affects is your waistline. And there is no connection Myth number six is actually false. There is no connection between chocolate and acne. In fact, some of the chocolates that are higher in cocoa are actually very are actually very good for you. Myth number seven: eating after six p.m. or seven p.m. or eight p.m. causes weight gain. Once again, myth number seven: eating after seven or six or eight p.m. causes weight gain. You know, back in the day. Mom always said, oh, we want to eat early so you can burn it off. Well, that's actually false. It does not matter. As long as you start eating when you're hungry and stop when you're full. That may seem obvious, but 
you don't want to, you know, eat, just eat. When you're hungry, eat. And when you're full, stop. Avoid non-hunger eating. Non-hunger eating, that equals weight, weight gain. So those are just some of the fun uh, myths I wanted to talk about as far as food and food service goes and so forth. And um, we're going to go ahead and dive into the rest of the podcast here in a minute. So I think what started this whole thing, uh, the whole subject of um, episode number six, food service, is, you know, for our family, Thanksgiving and Christmas is right around the corner. So food is going to be a hot topic in the following weeks. Every TV channel you turn on to is the holiday baking show, the British holiday baking show, the South Pole baking show. It, they're, they're all over TV, all kinds of, and they are actually pretty interesting. Even if you don't, uh, so, you know, with the, with the food, the baking shows and so forth, the food's going to be a hot topic. So I thought, hey, what better way to celebrate with a food service podcast? You know, for this, um, this year and every year for the past 25, 27 years, Thanksgiving has always been at our house. That's the one thing that we do, the one holiday we do, um, the turkey, the dressing, the mashed potatoes, the whole, the whole nine yards. Uh, all the family comes over, all the friends come over, you know, we all eat, argue, fight, play games, uh, have just a great time. And, uh, it's really, it's really kind of a nice tradition just having having one day with everybody together and hopefully where you're at, you have that luxury too. And if you can't get everybody together in today's day, there's no reason why, you know, Hey, make a phone call, make a, uh, a FaceTime call, uh, send somebody a text. Hey, thinking of you, wish you were here. Even if you haven't heard from them in a while, you never know might you never know what might happen. Even if you don't celebrate Thanksgiving or Christmas, you are all welcome to listen. Because like I said in my intro episode, all are welcome to listen, no matter who you are. And actually, because the holidays are not the topic of podcast number six, keep in mind, this podcast is not for the food service professional. So I'm going to get into food service here in a little bit. And those who are in food service, you know, hey, bear with me. I'm just going through the basics of what the average person you know, may or may not know about a restaurant. This is just basic, basic one-on-one stuff of people may not realize what all goes into a meal. So if you don't celebrate Thanksgiving or Christmas, you're still welcome to listen because the holiday topic is not really the topic of this podcast. Just a general, just a general overview of what may go on at your local dive. Contrary to local belief, and this may be another food service myth. In the food service realm, nothing comes in a 55-gallon drum. All the items come into a restaurant, packed, sealed, dated, stamped, with lot codes, with, and also with produce. Actually, with produce, you can track a lot of produce companies. Will, uh, and there's one in particular in California that uh, you can track where the lettuce was actually plucked from the ground. So here we go. You're out for a meal. It could be a restaurant, a quickie place, a white tablecloth, or wherever you choose to dine. Did you ever really give it much thought? 
I mean, who are these people? Who made this meal? What was involved in getting this plate to my table? You walked in, maybe a hostess seated you, you were greeted by a waiter or waitress, you ate, you paid, and you left. Wow, that was easy and convenient, wasn't it? It seems like the meal came from a magical area in the Matrix, and your entire meal was prepared and served within minutes. How can this be? There was no shopping, no preparation, no cooking, no dishes. You just eat and leave. Have you ever thought or even cared about how this all happens? Well, that's why I wanted to do this podcast. I wanted to give you a brief example of how it all works. The good, the bad, and the ugly of it all. In America and other countries, we really take it for granted. And sometimes we're even rude or condescending to the workers at a restaurant. I mean, who are these people? Who are these restaurant people? Do they have a life? Do they have a soul? Are they just tattooed dropouts, loners? Working there just because they can't work anywhere else? Well, you know, number one, I'm not an expert. I just want to give you some basic general insight of what goes on. I'm just recording a podcast that I want to do since the beginning. But I want to get my feet wet with other podcasts before I jumped into this one. This subject is so deep and so broad, there's no really way to cover it, all the material, in just one podcast. Plus, so many variables exist. So this is just a brief and general talk of what we experience for about 30 minutes to an hour when we choose to dine. By the way, what gives me the right to do a podcast on the subject? Well, let me fill you in. Back in 2004, a regional food service company took a chance on me and they hired me as being a sales rep. And I still work for this great company to this date. I plan to retire with this firm. Since they gave me a chance over 15 years ago, I give them 100% each day. Now, I'm sure my manager might disagree, but I do. For 10 of the past 15 years, I was in food service sales. And five of the 15 years, I've been a food service technician on equipment and so forth. So I just want to do a podcast of how this all happens. When you see a pancake platter at your side at 7 a.m. in the morning, And you may think to yourself, wow, now I know what went into this meal. I'm not even too sure how to start. I'm just going to to start, and you can put the pieces together as you listen. For this podcast, let's take a typical sit-down restaurant, like a local place, like a regional or a national account, like a Chili's or a, a Texas Roadhouse or whatever. How does all the food the plates, to-go containers, toilet paper, silverware, and all that goes into a restaurant even get into the building. Does the operator go to the popular blue and white discount store? Do they go to a popular big box club store? Do they go online shopping? In most cases, no. And here's why. Imagine you've got Joe Blow restaurant. You know, you shouldn't go to those places and for several reasons. Just imagine an operator loads up their pickup truck full of hamburger patties in July and they drive them to his establishment without some f- sort of food safety. 
all that food is at a temperature for an unspecified amount of time, and they say they need more. Say they run out of hamburger patties, and they need more stock for a big weekend. What if that club store is out of product, or they discontinue the product? Now their operator is in a jam. Let's say for argument's sake, they should use a food service provider. And you'll see these trucks early in the morning at the operator's back door making deliveries. Food service companies are inspected from stem to stern. Monthly, yearly, quarterly, all the time. They have temperature temperature controlled trucks, frozen, refrigerated, dry. In fact, when the food service companies get their stock from whoever, say Tyson or Hormel, Sara Lee, or even the fresh corn in the cob, whoever they buy from, the incoming inventory into the food service company has been under constant temperature control since it left the factory. The food service companies will refuse a shipment if the cold or safety chain has been violated. So when that truck rolls into the food service operators, food service company's doors, they scan the temperature codes, and if there's any kind of uh, discrepancy, boom, returned. Because all these companies have a reputation to protect, and they were dealing with people's lives here. So safety is a huge, huge concern. In our example of a modest sit-down restaurant, even before opening the doors to the public, so much has to happen. So let's take a brand new restaurant, getting, getting ready to open soon. It takes about half of a 48-foot semi-truck to bring in the first order of goods to an operator. Now we're, of course, assuming in this exercise the owner has proper financial capital, the building's been rented, bought, or built, dry goods, fresh, frozen, all the supplies coming in are brought in at once, or maybe they space them out over, over a couple of days at, uh, at a time. That means the operator's establishment must be ready to receive these items. And then all this happens after a lengthy and numerous local health department visits has cleared them to do so. Their coolers, their freezers must be working at the right temperatures, storage areas must have racks, and off the floor storage for all items that are coming in on the big truck. The entire building must be ready. I mean, just think, your, your fountain soda, your tea, your coffee, your ice machines, ovens, fryers, flat grills, char grills, your point-of-sale software and hardware need to be installed and set up. Uniforms, pest control, and so much more I can't even list. And before anything, a menu needs to be created. Operators must process the price of an entree item on the menu. They have to have some idea what they're going to serve. Are they serving, you know, Asian food, American food? Are there, is, is it a barbecue place? They must be profitable on each menu item. They've got to drill down to each ounce of inventory that goes onto the plate. The operators must price portion every bun, every hamburger patty, every ounce of french fries that go into the menu price. And then just think, that's all just for sit-down. If you want that meal to go, well, you need to figure in the cost of to-go containers, drinks, cups, lids, straws. I think we've covered straws. As well, to make sure you're making a profit. All those little straws and to-go containers, the bags, that all cost money. And the only way you're going to recoup that is 
from your only income, and that's your menu price. Let's take a trivial item. Let's say for argument's sake, like a roast beef sandwich. Say the menu price reflects five ounces of meat, but the line cooks are, they're gonna eyeball it. They're not gonna use a the scale, they're just gonna eyeball it. Hey, I've been doing this for a year, I know how much goes in there, and they're not gonna use a scale. And they're gonna place what they feel is right. Um, come to find out, they've been using seven or eight ounces of meat, or on the other hand, maybe they're just using four ounces of meat. In one instance, they're having to reorder a $60 case of roast beef four times a week versus two times a week. Each serving makes a difference. Or let's take the reverse. Say the line cooks are going to eyeball it and they're placing four ounces of roast beef on a sandwich instead of six ounces. Now the customer notices the portions have decreased and may stop visiting the restaurant. And now they're sitting on cases of roast beef that's not moving for some reason. So everything has to be, every menu item has to be weighed and portioned to make sure the operation is running smoothly. Something else to consider is price, price fluctuations in supply. Um, you ever priced avocados? They're expensive, and sometimes you can't even get them. They're either hard as a rock or they're mushy as hell. You know, this fluctuation has to be looked at, you know, quarterly at least, and a decision must be made on the menu to reflect the cost. You know, other factors to include or to think about are the air conditioning, the gas bill, electric bill, payroll, and countless other factors that the operator may not realize until months or years of experience fall into place. So now you can realize why a hamburger meal at XYZ restaurant costs $9.99. When you know damn good and well they have about $5 cost involved in the meal. Food costs for the restaurant industry typically run about 25 to 38%, depending on the type of restaurant and the sales mix. Um, we did roast beef as an example. Let's say you go to a favorite catfish. Just imagine your favorite restaurant serves the best catfish. They need to have a backup plan because they're, it's a catfish place. They don't have other menu items to rely on. They need to have a backup plan in place if there ever is, and there will be, a voluntary recall or outages on inventory items. Can you imagine a place that specializes in catfish and there's a nationwide recall on catfish? One must be ready for changes in the industry. And by the way, there is a big difference between a voluntary recall and a mandatory recall. Just today, in the news, a, a certain company recalled 250,000 cases of salad. It happens all the time. That's a voluntary recall. And it happens all the time. That product's got to be pitched. Uh, operators have to get new product in and so forth. It's a, you've got to stay on your toes owning a restaurant. This is not like, you know, going to work to your, you know, work at your desk and doing the same thing every day. It, it changes every day. So let's take a hamburger patty or the vegetable mix or a cheesecake for dessert, or the roast beef, or the catfish. How does it even get to the operator? Well, the most likely answer is, you know, they came, you know, it came from meat, a meat company. You know, maybe it came from a meat company like Tyson or XYZ Yummy Black Angus Meat Company. 
Or maybe they make the hamburger patty in-house and they just buy bulk ground beef. Even if they make their own, they had to buy a box of ground beef to even make the patty in-house. So there's advantages and disadvantages of both method methods. You know, a hamburger place can either buy a six-ounce preformed hamburger patty or they can make their own. And like I say, there's pros and cons on both methods. With a hamburger patty that's pre-made, you get consistency. Every hamburger patty you serve is exactly four, six, or eight ounces, whichever ones they order. It's all seasoned. It's going to have the same flavor profile each and every time. When you make your hamburger patties in-house with ground beef, you can always tweak the recipe and taste, and they can add in whatever seasonings the chef desires. But consistency may lack. Is each patty four, six, eight ounces? If not, then then you're at the table, and you notice your brother's hamburger is slightly bigger than yours. Or it may not just taste the same as it did last time. You dine there. So strict procedures must be followed just by something as simple as making a hamburger. Um, It's crazy. You know, the same method of thinking goes into a vegetable mix, which is a side item. You know, say, uh, just say a regular restaurant, you order uh, the protein portion and you get two sides, okra and maybe a vegetable mix. And also the dessert, the cheesecake and everything else they serve. The same method has to, has to go into effect. You know, you don't want to go there one time and you get a slab of cheesecake for dessert and you go there next time and you get a little sliver of cheesecake for dessert. That's going to throw your costs out of balance. It's going to throw your inventory out of, balance, out of balance and so forth. And there's many types of restaurants ran by independents and there's regional chains, there's national chains. No matter which type it is, they're all at the mercy of their quality, their image, their value, and location. National, national chains are safe, but they're not interesting. Let's take Chili's. Chili's is an easy target. A meal at Chili's in Tulsa, Oklahoma will be about the same as a meal at a Chili's in Buffalo, New York. So if you're traveling, you know the national accounts are always safe. They've got a tested, proven menu that works everywhere, and no matter where you dine, where, you know, and when you dine, it's going to be about the same as what you're used to. Regionals, kind of the same concept, but they're more localized in your area, like you know the West Coast or you know down here it's the uh, South Central or the East Coast. But remember, all those locations started with all those locations started with one place. Um, McDonald's started with one restaurant. Wendy's started with one restaurant. So you can see how quickly these concepts can take off. But then on the other hand, you can also see how fast they die. I mean, how many restaurants do you see out there are open for six months and then boom, out of business? It's all about the money. And if they're busy or not, if they have a good menu, all these things I mentioned, the, the cleansiness, the flavor profile, menu cost, location, it all has an impact on the business. Now, independent restaurants should be a step above all this. They rely totally on their quality, their image, their consistency, and their unique offerings. 
I know we, when we dine, we usually try to choose the independence here at home and when traveling. So when you're traveling, you always want to befriend the locals because they will tell you the best places to eat. And most likely when you're traveling and you ask a local where's the best place to eat, I bet you nine times out of ten, they're not going to say a national chain. They're going to say a local independent operator is the place to eat. And while apps like like uh, Yelp, OpenTable, they can help, but keep in mind everybody has an opinion and experience. Online reviews can be a double-edged sword. Some people you just can't please, and they're going to leave a bad review anywhere for, just for attention or for a re, or for a coupon for a free dessert at their next visit. Only you can judge if it meets your expectations of quality, value, and cleansiness. Regardless of your choice, keep in mind how hard these employees work. And I've seen it for 15 years and counting. How hard restaurant employees work from the back of the house, people receiving the freight, people washing dishes, the servers, the hosts, the operators, how hard they work. Your wait staff is paid below minimum wage and they rely on tips. So tip them well if they do a good job. Even if they don't, please still tip them just for, just for, you know, the, just for the ethics of it all. The chef, the cook, the prep team, the dishwasher, the manager, they're all working unholy hours to make your meal an enjoyable one. Each day a restaurant is open, they're at 100% work mode from morning till night. And there's so many duties that go into a restaurant. There's the morning shift duties, noon duties, evening duties, closing duties. They, the employees wake up at 4 a.m., they do their shift, and they come back the next day just to do it all over again. I mean, it is hard work. I mean, it's just, it's, it's not easy. And like I said at the beginning, you know, a lot of people think it's a lesser job or people are condescending to these people. You know, please, please, for, for gosh sakes, um, we should treat everybody with respect. And I'm not too sure why these people are easy targets because, you know, you're having a bad day or whatever. No, they're working just as hard as you are, as you are, if not harder. So treat them well. You know, the duties for each of the following positions can be pages long. You've got waitress duties. You've got manager duties, cashier duties, line cook duties dishwasher duties and these pages long of rules and things to follow for these duties they've got to be done every day and while each employee is important some of the employees are overlooked such as um, custodial duties the restaurant bathrooms and overall cleansiness are one of the reasons you go back time and time again I mean, do you ever revisit a restaurant after seeing a bathroom that needs tending? Most likely not. That unsightly bathroom gave you a bad image of the whole restaurant. You think to yourself, if the bathrooms and the parking lot are this disgusting, what about the kitchen? Ugh. And just think of the guy or girl doing the dishes. What would happen if they fell ill 
and left in the middle of a busy night. They'd be out of business. With nobody tending the dishwasher, you're eventually going to run out of dishes. I mean, have you ever seen, have you ever been to a Walmart and they run out of plastic bags? I mean, it's, it, it's a big deal. So, you know, you can imagine, uh, you know, a dishwasher falling ill or whatever, and all the dishes are on the floor, all the dishes are dirty, people are ordering, and there's no dishes to put the food on. It's a very important job. Commercial dishwashing machines, they, they, they will not replace elbow grease. Someone's got to be there. It's a man, the dishwasher. And the dishwasher person must still scrub and clean them before sending them into the dishwasher. The dishwashing machine has no garbage disposal, so every straw, every sugar packet, and napkin that we throw on the plate when we're done eating must be disposed of before they can even hit a drop of water. Really, the job of a commercial dishwasher is to basically sanitize the dishes, either with extremely hot water or with a chemical sanitation. It still takes elbow grease to remove lipstick and from glassware and burnt on crust from cooking pans. And most people just scoff and think, hey, he or she is only a dishwasher. Well, let me tell you what, they have one of the most important jobs in the kitchen and the operator needs to fill that position with the most capable person. You know, back when I was in sales, I loved my customers. In, in fact, I still do. Even though I changed my dockers and sports coat in for jeans and work boots, I've helped customers flourish. I've seen operators with a ninth grade education run a successful business for over 15 years and counting. I've worked with the best chefs, the fanciest country clubs. I've worked with a local donut dive. I've worked with a local greasy spoon. I've seen customers, you know, gain prosperity. And I've seen customers lose everything because of a casino habit. You have all this money coming in. You've got to be a good steward. You have to reinvest in your business. I've seen how hard someone works just to make very little. And they wake up every morning and they work day in and day out. I've seen the dishwasher get promoted to manager. I've seen the manager get demoted to dishwasher. I've seen people start with an idea and now it's the busiest place in the block. Employees that work at the restaurants, they have to have a food service permit and keep it updated and go through training to keep it current. And usually they do all this training on their own time without being on the clock. So it's easy for an independent operator to make good money day in and day out. But there will also be the slow times. You must reinvest in your business to make and keep it the best place for people to come. During the slow times, you got to think of a way to attract business. And I know here locally, we have Sonic drive-ins. And I think they have one of the most genius ideas ever. They have what's called happy hour between 2 and 4. Well, you know what? For Sonic, 2 and 4 is their slowest time. So they run happy hour where their drinks are half price. It's genius. Because you know when you go in there for a half price drink, you're probably going to pick up maybe a a package of cheese sticks or maybe a small hamburger to tide you over or you're going to pick up a uh, um, little small deal onion rings that, you be, that you've been craving all day or, you know, during the slow times, maybe uh, 
a big national conglomerate brings out the McRib. Now, who knows? Maybe it's because of slow times. Maybe it's because they want to take the attention off of a menu price change or whatever. But people flock to the restaurant to get a McRib. Um, so there are genius ideas out there to keep restaurants going even through the uh, slow times. You know, when you, go out to, when you go out to eat at a restaurant, people go to eat to get away from it all for one night. There's no shopping, there's no cooking, there's no cleaning. And the ones bringing it all to you are hopefully doing their best. So if you have a great experience, tip your server well. They are working very hard for it. I had touched on cleansiness earlier, and I wanted to clear up a debate. And that is sanitizer. My God, sanitizer's everywhere. Every, <clears throat> every wall has got a dispenser. Every, every purse, every diaper bag um, has this little cute little sanitizer bottle on there, and, uh, which is good. But let's get into the topic of hand washing versus sanitation, or sanitizer, liquid sanitizer. You know, in the, in the healthcare in the healthcare um, field, sanitizer has its place. But in food service, nothing takes the place of hand washing. Sanitizing lotions may be used after correctly washing your hands. And that's right. I said correctly washing your hands. It's like, well, how can you incorrectly wash your hands? Well, actually, you can. So I'll get to correctly washing your hands in a minute. But the sanitizer may never be used in place of hand washing. There's many types of cute little sanitizer bottles, and some have, a, some have enough alcohol to kill the germs, and others don't. You need to have at least a sanitizer with 60% alcohol to do the trick. And it still will not replace hand washing. You may think you're doing yourself a service with those cute little bottles, but we'll get into that here in a minute. And another thing I hate about, I shouldn't say hate about sanitizer because it does have its place. You know, you use your hand sanitizer because you can't wash your hands or there's no clean water or anything. And then you go to itch your eyes and now your eyes sting. Now you can't drive. You're tearing up. You got pulled over. Well, imagine a kid. You put a sanitizer on a kid's hand and he goes to itch his eye. My gosh, it'll, it'll, put, you in, it'll, put, you in, it'll put you in orbit. Um, gloves. Gloves may be used for, lim for uh, limiting bare hand contact with food or other duties, but it should never be used in place of hand washing. So proper hand washing is the gold standard. When you wash your hands, here's the correct way. Here is the correct way to wash your hands in case anybody did not know. And believe me, people don't know. You guys have been in bathrooms before, and it's amazing the amount of people who don't wash their hands. Are we really in that big of a hurry where we can't spend 20 seconds to wash our hands? When you wash your hands, you should use warm water and soap. Duh. But as far as the proper time frame, it's about 20 seconds. And instead of having a stopwatch on your side as you wash your hands, it's been said to sing happy birthday to you or sing your ABCs while you wash your hands. Now, of course, you don't want to sing this out loud in front of the mirror in a public restroom, so you want to sing it to yourself. Sing happy birthday to you 
to yourself or recite your ABCs to yourself as you wash your hands. When the song is over, your hands are properly washed. And why is it better than hand sanitizer? Well, data shows that sanitizer is effective at reducing germs, but hand washing kills the germs. It also physically removes dirt, debris, and spores that could make you sick. Also, in contrast to hand sanitizer, washing your hands does remove those pathogens like the norovirus. If there is no way to wash your hands, then sanitizer is still a good option. If you can't wash your hands in the moment or you don't have access to clean water, then it's fine. Not in place of, but it's fine to help you along. And there's tons more I could talk about, like operations, health department rules and regulations. But I wanted to keep it simple for the average person who dines. Um, you know, of what goes into a restaurant. We all, we all go into these restaurants and we go, we eat, we leave. You know, we may bitch at the server because something's taking too long. Yeah, it's not their fault. The kid, you know, it's it, it, that, that time slip is probably going to be in the kitchen. And yeah, okay, maybe it took three minutes longer, you know, and it may seem like an attorney to you, but, you know, there's really no reason to go off on a server because your meal is late or, uh, it's cold or whatever, you know, and it's okay to make, it's okay to send it back. I mean, it's no problem, but don't take it out on the people. They are most likely doing the best they can. So that's my talk on restaurants. Um, It's what I do day in and day out. And I love it. Um, And they're never going to, never, never going away. You know, it's not like, um, you know, if you remember the Kodak uh, film developing little huts around, you know, they went away. Radio Shack went away. Sears went away. Well, you know what? People are always going to have to eat. So grocery stores and restaurants will always be there. So it's a, you know, it's a good safe, you know, it, it's a good safe um, place of employment for not only servers or chefs or dishwashers, but also for the people who sell to the restaurants, people who deliver to the restaurants. And that's also, that's also a very overlooked uh, um, type of employment. You know, I said earlier how you can see the food service distributors' trucks early in the morning at the operator's back door. You know, imagine this is one guy driving a 48-foot truck and delivering cases and cases to each restaurant you know, each restaurant, you know, one restaurant gets 20 cases delivered. Then he drives two miles and he stops the truck and another restaurant gets 400 cases of stuff delivered. And we're not talking about light stuff like toilet paper or napkins. We're talking cases of number 10 cans, cases of frozen food. And those guys are going up and down the ramps. And the whole time they're making the, the delivery, the next guy in line you know, the next restaurant that needs to be delivered, they're calling saying, hey, where's the truck? Where's the truck? Well, dear God, the driver's doing the best he can. So a lot goes in to a restaurant that I didn't cover. And if I did cover it, I'd probably bore you more than I've already bored you. So let's go to my Netflix report. We're going to switch gears here. 
uh, Netflix is one of my favorite things in the world because it's free and I'm cheap. Um, I still, I still go, go, I still go to the movies. I still, yes, I still pay for a movie ticket and go see a movie. Uh, Netflix report. Now remember on Netflix, oh, by the way, by the way, Netflix, my God, do you remember when Netflix first came out and you got the Netflix envelopes in the mail and you had like two days to watch the movie and then you had to send it back? A lot of people don't even realize that ever happened. People who are younger see Netflix on your smart TV or on your Roku or your Fire Stick. Eh, wow, cool, a movie service. Well, <laughs> they used to send you movies via the mail and you'd watch them and send them back. back. Um, then came along Redbox and so forth and so on. Well, now you don't even have to leave your room. And my youngest son's fiance just recently got Disney Plus. And that looks amazing. Everything Disney has done is on there. Whether you want to watch the old Dumbo or you want to watch the new Dumbo or <laughs> there was a movie I saw on Disney Plus that that was actually the first PG movie Disney ever made called The Black Hole. And I remember seeing that movie as a kid, and I have never seen it anywhere. I mean, of course, it's not really a great movie, but it was a good movie. It was cool. Um, it was retro. It was vintage. It was unique. And I saw it on Disney Plus, and I watched it. And what a cool thing. Disney Plus is out. Uh, plus, you get the Avengers. You get uh, Pixar. You get National Geographic. Um, I may have to look into this whole Disney Plus thing and uh, actually pay for something instead of... Um, riding off my son's Netflix account. Anyway, before the feds come and get me, um, with Netflix, remember, there's tons of movies and shows you can download to your device and watch at a later time. And this makes waiting in a waiting room, waiting for your next dental appointment, a little bit easier. So um, on Netflix right now is uh, The King. I have not seen I have not seen The King, but I've heard how great it is. It's on my list to watch. Uh Sling Blade. Yep, I killed him. Sling Blade is out. Uh that's worth another watch. The Brave One with Jodie Foster, where she is a uh vigilante. She she plays a real badass vigilante. Really really cool show. Uh The Brave One with Jodie Foster, it's out. The Walking Dead series is out, one of my favorites. Love The Walking Dead. It was actually my co-worker that got me started on Walking Dead. I always watch that on Sundays. And also, Schindler's List is still out, which deserves a mention. Because I have seen that one, and that's one I think everybody should see. Uh, coming in December, we've got Lost in Space Season 2. Then we also have... Marriage Story with Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver. We have Six Underground with Ryan Reynolds. Our next podcast will be 1st of December. I may have another guest speaker grace our presence. So stay tuned for the next exciting episode. As always, you could have chosen any podcast, but you chose mine. And for that, I thank you. Beam me up, Scotty. Scotty.